This is a life-changing message brought to you by Fellowship of Champions Church International, located in Conway, Arkansas. Listen now as Pastor Sean Strickland teaches you to walk in love, live by faith, and experience God's prosperity in every area of your life. manageable by your brain the reality of it is is that if you can do it you don't need faith and you have to understand that most of the stuff that God has called you to do you can't do it that's why he called you to do it so that together you and God could accomplish something that would give him glory in the earth amen so I'm going to start this morning And it's going to be a part of the series. I guess it is what I say it is. But um, I'm going to talk to you this morning about believing for the impossible. Amen. And we're going to go to two scriptures right quick, just kind of to lay a foundation for us. We got to get our expectation up. You know, I was saying to somebody the other day, I was saying how what we do in life is we take what we think we can manage. What I mean by that is that you go get a car and you think you could pay it off in five years, you never try to use your faith to do it any quicker than five years. You're just content with paying that little payment every month. Well, why is that such a big deal? You'll understand it's because as we go from faith to faith and glory to glory, what we do individually with our faith allows us to collectively come together and do great exploits with our faith. You understand what I'm saying? And so you got to understand that... I'm not exactly sure the full direction that this will go in, but one of the things I really want to challenge you to is to use your faith to get out of debt. You need to use your faith to get out of debt. And I know you can listen to the pundits and the experts, and they'll tell you that there's good debt and bad debt, but the only good debt is the debt that you could pay off if they called you and asked you for it today. And why is this so important? Why is some debt something that we need to talk about? Because do you realize that most of the stuff that you, if we call a conference, you got to ask your boss whether you can get off or not. Not because you care that much about your job, but because if you can't make those payments, your life changes. When God says, hey, I want you to give $500 to help sister so-and-so over here, you know she just gets, she just, she coming out of a bad situation, like those women we were talking about earlier. We say, when women come to us and say, you know what, okay, I'm ready to leave my husband. I'm tired of being hit, but I don't have any skills. Well, if they need their rent paid and you need your rent paid, let's be real. You go pay your rent. So it's very important for us to see that debt freedom is crucial to what God wants us to be able to do. Because the Bible says this, it says the lender, the the borrower is servant to the lender. So even though you want God to be first, many times whoever you owe is first. So you got to get your expectation up. And in reality, most of you, if you look at your debt, your debts are not something you can pay off by yourself. Is that right? Like, I mean, like, I mean, if you just, you know, if they give you that little plan to get out of debt, it's going to take you about seven to ten years. But tell your neighbor, say, there is another system. And it starts with you believing. Pastor Elmer said something a couple of weeks ago. I don't even know if any of you picked up on it. He said the first debt, supernatural debt release we got was when Jesus forgave all our sins. Now, if Jesus can forgive your sins, 
then surely Jesus can deal with that fifty, hundred, two hundred thousand dollars that's holding over your head that's keeping you from doing the things that God would have you to do. Somebody says, well, why are we talking about this in church? A couple of reasons. Most marriages break up because they don't have no money. They fighting over money. When we counsel most people, most people we counsel, they talk about, when I say most, I mean nine out of ten of the people we're talking about, all their issues are magnified because they got money issues. You mad at your kids because when they go to Walmart, you yelling at them because they saw toys that you don't have the money to buy. Somebody needs help. They need a car. You want to help them. Your car barely running. You think the gospel ought to be preached. You want to go on a missionary trip. Your job won't let you off. So if you think about it, almost everything that you're going to do for the kingdom, it takes resources to do it. I say this all the time. People say, if somebody says, all right, let's say Manny says, you know what, Pastor John? I, I feel like the Lord is telling me I want to go, go to Guatemala and I want to minister the gospel. Well, how many of you know it takes money for her to get there? It ain't just enough that she want to go. We can't bring Manny in here and pray for her, lay hands on her, and she say, where my ticket? And we say, go up there and, and pray in tongues when you stand in line. And when they say, where my ticket? She just say, I believe I receive in Jesus' name. Now, she got to believe she received before she showed up there. She got to have that ticket in hand. If she goes to a country, Africa, Russia, anywhere where people are broken and they don't have a lot of resources, if you go to some place in Conway, Little Rock, northwest Arkansas, where people are broken, they want food. People not trying to hear about your Jesus if you don't have no food. I know you don't like that, but at the end of the day, if I'm hungry and I got three kids that's hungry, don't tell me Jesus can save me if you can't feed us. I don't want to hear that. And people are, you're trying to be all spiritual and all deep on me, but at the end of the day, if your body is hurting, if your arm is dangling off because it got broke, you either want me to be to lay hands on it and put it back together or take you to the hospital, one of the two. You understand what I'm saying? And so we have to understand that financial prosperity is key to us being able to do the things that God told us to do. We got to deal with our thinking about believing for the impossible. Because one of the first things we got to do is that we got to deal with debt. How many of you acknowledge that when you get your check, that debt determines what you do first? Now, I mean, you, you may tithe. If you're a tither, okay, after you tithe, debt determines what you do. Don't you want to be free of that? Amen. Let's go. Let's get some work done. Psalm 62. Psalm 62. All right. Now y'all going to have to y'all going to have to go fast cuz I got to go fast. All right. Psalm 62 it says truly my soul waits upon God, from him cometh my salvation. So who's going to deliver me? God. Who has a plan for my deliverance? God. So I don't need to be spending all my time watching the expert because who has the plan for my deliverance? God. Who knows how to get that debt off my back? God. So it says this. It says, he only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. Verse 5, my soul waits out only upon God for my expectation is from him. So who am I expecting to deliver me? Am I expecting my job to deliver me? Am I expecting somebody to marry me and deliver me? Am I expecting to win the lottery? No. Am I expecting to go over to the casino and hit the slot machine and get enough money to get out of debt? No. I am expecting God because God is my salvation. 
Amen. Say, God is my salvation. Now, when you needed deliverance from your sin, who did you go to? Because he was the only one who could do it. So why don't you go to God about everything else that you need in life, including the, your car, God, your bills, God, whatever you need, God is the one who will give you what you need. Say, my expectation is from God, and him only will I trust. Now, we got to say this up front because I want you to understand it, that we started talking to you about debt freedom and how it's the will of God for you to be debt free. There's going to be a natural temptation for you to go and look up what all the experts say. But I want you to know that the first thing most of the experts are going to tell you to do is to stop tithing. My expectation is from God. You have not proven to me that your system works. God's system works for everybody who get involved with it all the time. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to trust God. And it says my expectation from God, it really says it like this. If God don't do it, I don't want it. If God doesn't do it, I don't want it. If God don't give me a house, I don't want it. It's the price attached to it going to be too great. All right, so my expectation is from God. Now let's go to Isaiah 60. Hallelujah. you got to love the Word because you'll see that the Word of God has every answer that you need in your life. We've been saying this all year, and I hope you've been taking the time to read your Bible to see this is not the first time there's been a recession. But as you can see, if you go back and you think about this, when Egypt was in a recession, Goshen was living good. Go back and read it. When Egypt had frogs and bulls and and locusts and all that stuff right over in Goshen. When, when, when Egypt was in darkness, Goshen, Goshen had light. That's how we should live. We should look distinguishedly different from the world. Isaiah 60. It says, A rise and shine for their light has come. That word light there means revelation. In one translation it says, Get out of bed. It says, quit laying down there being a victim of your circumstances because you've got revelation to get out of your circumstances. It says, arise and shine. Another translation says, change your position. Change the way you think about this. You've been saying, oh, my debt is so big. Oh, I got so many student loans. Oh, I can never afford a house. Oh, I can never get a car. He says, arise and shine. Change the way you think because revelation just hit you. It says, arise, in the Amplified it says this, it says, arise from the depression and the prostration in which your circumstances have kept you. Rise to a new light, shine, be radiant with the glory of the Lord, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen up on you. As you get out of debt, it will be the glory of the Lord that's rising up on you. It'll be the glory of the Lord. I know when people think about the glory of the Lord, they think about the the Shekinah cloud coming down, and that's great. We appreciate that. But this glory is talking about when God gives you revelation and it causes change to come in your life so that when people see you, they see God. Hallelujah. It says, and the Gentiles, the heathens, those who don't know me, shall come to your light and the kings to the brightness of your rising. 
Now imagine this. It says that kings, people in prominent positions, when you'll let God do what he wants to do in your life, those people will begin to look at you. They're at your job, and they're the boss, and they're making more money than you, but they don't know the answer, so they have to come to you and ask you what to do. He says the kings will come to the brightness that's on you. Glory to God. He says, lift up your eyes round about you and see all them that gather together. They come to thee. Your son shall come from afar and your daughter shall be nursed at thy side. Then thou shalt see and flow together and thy heart shall fear. That word fear doesn't mean be scared. It means the awe factor of God. He says that when you see all of this stuff happening, your heart will be in awe of God. Amen. And it says, um, it says, and be enlarged because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee and the forces of the Gentiles shall come unto you. Tell your neighbor, say that is a transfer of wealth. People who don't know Jesus, God taking money. Okay, let me help y'all. You know how they say that the stock market loses money? You know the money doesn't leave the earth. Will you quit being so deep? The money left the stock market, but it didn't leave the earth. That means that somebody can get the money. All right, well, I'm going to get the money then. I'm I'm going to get the money. You don't understand that the most the greatest transfer of prosperity takes place in a so-called recession. You ought to be positioning yourself, not because you're trying to start a business, but you're just hearing and doing what the Lord say do. Not because you're trying to advance up the corporate, you look, Lord, wherever you want me, that's where I am. Because you've got to have a revelation that if God called you to be a janitor, God can make you wealthy being a janitor, being a school teacher, being, it don't matter. You don't have to have a bunch of fancy degrees. All you need is the glory of the Lord going before you. Hallelujah. It says, and the forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. The forces, think about that, the forces. How do people control the earth? With money. Come on, guys. That's how you control the earth. Whoever got the money, that's who control it. So he says, all right, so the wealth of them, their abundance, shall be converted unto you. So when you see that they say the money being lost, you ought to start shouting. It's lost to them. It ain't lost to us. That's okay, faith comes by him. Then thou shalt see and flow together. Thy heart shall be and be enlarged because of the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee and the forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. The multitude of camels shall cover thee. Now, come on. If you just think about in that time, now understand the Bible wasn't written in this time. It was written times ago. Well, who had camels? Wealthy people because everybody else walked. It says, so they're going to load up these camels. The multitude of the camels from the eastern trotting trade shall cover you, Jerusalem. And the young camels of Midian and Ephah and all the men from Sheba who once came to trade shall come bringing gold and frankincense and proclaiming the praises of the Lord. So it's not just talking about people not getting saved. It says that because of the glory on you, people who have money are going to see the glory on you. They're going to get saved and then bring their wealth into the kingdom. So people who used to use their money to do evil are going to see glory on you and then take their money and use it to advance the cause of your God. Hallelujah. 
It says, and all the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you as an eastern pastoral tribe join the trading tribe. The rams of Naboth shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar and my glorious house I will glorify. And it says, who are these that fly like a cloud and like the doves to their windows? All right. The message translation is better. Basically, it says this. Isaiah's telling this story. It's a prophecy. It means it's in the future. But he's talking about you. And Isaiah looks out and he's got this visual of what's going to happen when there starts being this great transfer of wealth. Has anybody ever looked at the sea where the sea and the sky meet? You know, if you go and you look at the ocean, you can look out there so far and you can't tell whether it's sea or whether it's sky. He says that in his mind, he's out there and he's looking. He can't tell whether it's sea in the sky. He said, wait a minute, what's that in the distance that's coming to the people of God? He says, it's the ships of Tarshish. But you got to know your Bible and understand to understand that the Tarshish ships was always the ships that carried the wealth. The Tarshish ships was the ships that Sheba sent when she was bringing gifts to Solomon. He says, wait a minute, what's that I see in the future that's going to come to the people of God? Oh, it's the Tarshish ships coming to them with the abundance of the nations. Now, you can act like you all deep and like you don't really care about money. But go home and challenge yourself this week. Most of your problems will be about money. Most of your stuff will be about money. You'll be mad in the morning because you got to go to a job that you hate. Why you work at a job you hate? You ain't got no money. I'm just trying to tell you that Jesus came to set you free, but you got to believe the word that God said. All right, all right, come on. Um... I'm going to tell you some stories. I'm going to tell you where they are. you got to look them up yourself. In Matthew, the ninth chapter, no, in Matthew, the 17th chapter, and in Mark, the ninth chapter, it's the same account. And in this account, there is a boy who suffers with some demons. Y'all heard this story before? And it says that Jesus was up on the Mount Transfiguration, and he came to the disciples, and they said, can you heal my son? And they tried to heal his son, but they had no power. Then Jesus came down. Jesus said, what's going on here? And he says, well, I brought my, I brought my son to your disciples, but they ain't got no power. And he says, all right, what's going on with your son? He says, my son, he's been tossed into the fire. He got seizures. He's been struggling with this all his life. He says, it throw him into the fire. It throw him into the water. It's trying to kill him all the time. Then he looks at Jesus, and he says, Jesus, if you can do anything, I'd appreciate it. Jesus said, wrong question. The question is not whether I can do anything. It's what can you believe? He says, he said, because if you can believe, all things are possible. You always think it's about what God will do. It's not about what God will do. It's about what you can believe for. If you can believe it, it's possible. You can be sitting here right now with two pennies in your purse. But if you would grab hold of this word and let God be God, you could be the first person in your life that you know to become a millionaire and to be a distribution center for the kingdom of God. But because you keep looking at yourself, you keep looking at your education, you keep looking at the economy, then you don't ever get what God said. Then in Matthew 17, when they tell the whole story, they say to Jesus after Jesus heals the boy, his disciples say to him, disciples are church folks, they us. They walk with Jesus. They say, Jesus, why couldn't we do this? I love the message translation. He says, because you don't take God seriously. He says, you can't do this because you don't take me seriously. He says, you couldn't heal the boy because you don't take me seriously. Why, why can't I get out of that? Because you don't take God seriously. 
Why can't I get my marriage turned around? I don't take God seriously. Why can't I get this drama out of my mind and I'm depressed and in and out and bipolar and I, I don't take God seriously? He says, but if you take God seriously, nothing shall be impossible to him that believes. Then he said it this way. He says, in fact, all things are possible to him that believes. But I've got to take God seriously. i got to believe that when God says something, he means what he says and he says what he means. That God doesn't make a promise that he cannot keep. I gotta make a decision that I believe God over my over my own life, over my own experiences. I believe God over my mom. I believe God over my daddy. I believe God over my husband. I choose to believe God. I choose to take God seriously. Hallelujah. Tell your neighbor, say you need, you ought to take God seriously. You don't have a financial situation that God can't fix. I, 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 no, 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 no. I'm still preaching to you, those who you running your totals in your mind right now. You don't have a financial situation that God cannot fix. It ain't no, you know, you can't add up all the debt in this room and it caused God to even blink his eye. You do not have a financial situation that God cannot fix. Why hadn't he fixed it? I don't take God seriously. Why don't I have a house yet? I don't take God seriously. Why am I still driving that raggedy car that stop every time I get to a stop sign? I don't take God seriously. But if I would take God seriously, I would see God do something I've never seen God do before, which is the impossible. And what used to be impossible for me is now possible. And that's why I don't understand why people say they love God but don't get excited about the word. Do you understand that everything you could ever need in your life, God gave you a promise for? Do you understand that God is so big that if you need a kidney, that one word can make a kidney, that one word can put you back together again, and you think God can't pay your water bill? We do not serve some little bitty false God that we created. We don't serve a God with eyes, but he can't see, and hands, but he can't reach out and save, and legs, but he can't get. We don't serve, oh, big, big belly Buddha. We serve the most high God. We serve Yahweh. We don't serve some God who's fat tail sitting up there because he can't move and can't go nowhere and can't do nothing. You gotta get your expectation up. You gotta take God seriously. You gotta set up in your mind that you'd rather die believing God than to see it come to pass another way. That if God can't do it, you don't want it. Says, why couldn't you heal him? Because you don't take me seriously. Well, let's look at some other people who didn't take God seriously. Hebrews 4. I'm not really trying to teach you anything as much today as I'm trying to get set some on fire in you. 
because you can write all them notebooks down if you want to and still go home and be broke, busted, and disgusted. I want something to go off on the inside of you. And even you know what? Money may not be your issue today, but I want you to know that whatever your problem is today, this same word that will apply to money, it will fix any situation that you have. You don't have a situation that God cannot fix. You do not have a request that is too big for God. There is nothing you can ask for for God that he cannot do. God can do anything but lie and fail. So if he said it, it just became truth. It's time out for this watered down gospel. We got preachers running around telling people right now in a recession, they ought to cut back. Find me one scripture in here that ever say it's time to cut back. And you can't find a scripture in here that say cut back. God is not a cut back God. God is an increased God. He is an exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask or think according to the faith that's working in you. But you got to take God seriously. Why I holler like that? Because some of y'all don't even understand unless I start hollering. Hebrews 4, it says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still holds and is offered today, let us be afraid to distrust it, lest any of you should think he has come too late and has come short of reaching it. Now, look what he says. He said, God made a promise. But don't you let your intellect tell you that you got here too late. Don't you let your intellect tell you that your problem too big. Don't you let your intellect tell you that you done had the situation too long. He said, for indeed, we have had the glad tidings of the gospel of God proclaimed to us just as truly the Israelites of old did when the good news of deliverance from bondage came to them. But the message they heard, what message? This message of deliverance. It did not profit them because it was not mixed with faith when they heard it. What does it mean? It means they heard Moses say, but they didn't believe. All right, let's see what Moses told him. Go to Exodus 3 and 8. Exodus 3 and 8. It says, And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land, unto a large land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Pezzarites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. He says, what did he say? I have come to do what? To deliver them. He says, I have come to deliver them, but not just deliver them, but and to give them a good land. He says, all right, years ago. God came and made the same promise to the, to the Hebrews. He says, you're in bondage. You're working without pay. You're being mistreated. He says, I've come to deliver you. He says, and not only am I going to deliver you, but I'm going to lead you to a good land. Say a good land. Well, okay, in Numbers, the 13th chapter and the 14th chapter, look at what happens over here. You, I don't know if you guys can pull that up that fast, but go to Numbers 1. And then we're going to go, I mean, Numbers 13, verse 1. And then we're going to go to verse 27. Numbers 13 and 1, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their father, you shall send a man, every one a ruler among them. Wait a minute, let me hold on. Let me, let me tell you this. See, here's the problem. Most of us have gotten so satisfied 
we're getting out of that we never get concerned about going into. You're so glad you're not going to hell that you forget that there is a promised land for you now. Now, here the children of Israel, same situation. They in bondage. And they're in bondage and they're running around in the wilderness when God is saying, I got a good land for you. You don't have to run around and live in them tents. I provided houses for you that you didn't even build. Yeah, I'm keeping your shoes, but I got a place for you where you can get new shoes when you want them. And so he says to them, he says, go and scout out the land that I've told you. Send men. He sends, he sends out a man from every tribe. And he says, go and search out the land for 40 days. And they go out there and they search out the land for 40 days. And they get to, and if you look at verse 27, I believe it is. It says, and now they told, they told him and they said, we came unto the land where you sent us. And surely it flows with milk and honey. Tell your neighbor, say, it had. Exactly what God said. It says, nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in that land, and the cities walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there, and the Amicalites dwell in the land in the south, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Am- Let me ask you a question. In Exodus 3 and 8, didn't he tell them all those people were there? Why were they focused on the people? God knew the people was there when he told them to go scout out the land. But they were more focused on the people than they were on the promise. Verse 30 says, And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. I want you to say this. Say, we are well able to get out of debt. Say it again. Say, we are well able to get out of debt. Say it again. We are well able to get out of debt. It says, now Caleb says, come on, guys. I know the debt seemed big. I know you've been managing it all your life, but we're well able to get out of debt. And ten of the people go, no, we can't do this. It's so hard. We so scared. We so little. All I make is 30000 All I make is 60000 How am I going to get out of all this debt? Caleb said, we well able. Get up. If you look at a situation and it seems impossible, it's the indication that your focus is on something beside God. If you ever look at a situation and it seems impossible to you, It is the indication that your focus is on something other than God. The reason that two people saw victory and ten people didn't is all about what they focused on. Two people said, I don't care if the giant is bigger than me or not. I ain't got to fight the giant. Ten people said, how are we going to take the giants down? The other two said, it ain't our job to take down the, the giants. Our job is to believe God. He'll give us the instruction, and whatever instruction he give us, we'll do it. How do you know that the Israelites could take down a giant? Fast forward to a little shepherd boy called David. Same giants that they ran from. David comes out. He's just a shepherd boy. His, his, they didn't even let him go to war because they didn't think he could fight. His daddy sent him down to the battle line, and this is what he told him. He said, take them some food in case they're hungry. He say, take them and go fight. Take them some food in case they're hungry. 
David goes down there, he expects to see a fight. When David gets there, he sees the, the armies of Israel hiding. And he sees the, the, um, the Philistines mocking them. David come in, he like, something wrong with this situation. He said, oh, wait, wait, hold on. Uh, wait, I think he turned around and went back and said, wait, wait let me go back. Maybe my eyes playing tricks on me. He come in to the situation. He talking to them. They ain't no different than their ancestors. Shut up. You don't know. Ain't nothing we can do about this situation. David started asking questions. David says, what is the inheritance for killing the giant in my life? He said, what do I get if I kill the giant? He keeps on talking. His brother says, shut up. You think you so. You ain't nothing but a little shit. I don't want to hear about that. All I want to know is, what do I get if the giant in my life, in y'all life, come down? He kept on saying it, and it got to the king. And they said, it's this little bitty shepherd boy. And it's this little bitty shepherd boy, and he out here talking like he can take down Goliath. He wants to know what he'll get if he takes down Goliath. Saul said, bring him here. He said, you get my daughter, and you get my kingdom. They said, let's go. Let's, let, let's do this. Saul starts trying to talk to him. He says, you know, you, you see all these warriors out here, and they scared. He said, I'm not there. He said, I'm not there. He said, he said Goliath's been fighting since his, um, since his youth. David said, me too. He said, I've been fighting too. He said, let me tell you about how I've been fighting. He said, one time when I was just a small lad, I was out there with, um, with, with taking care of my father's sheep, and a lion ran up. And I said, no, I'm not about to tell my daddy that you done got one of the sheep coming back. I grabbed him by the mane, and I stabbed him to death and got the sheep back unharmed. But then there was another time that I was sleeping. I looked up, and there was a bear standing over me. And this is what I can tell you this. Goliath fights with a shield and a sword, but I come in the name of the Lord. And who dares defy the armies of the Lord? See, you trying to fix it with money. You trying to fix it with a plan. You ought to say, you know what, debt? I come to you in the name of the Lord. You talking to me about credit score and mortgage. I'm talking to you about the name of the Lord. It is a strong tower. My God. It says, but it didn't profit them because they didn't take God seriously. Tell your neighbor, say, please take God seriously. In the 14th chapter of Numbers, it says this. He says, all right, this is what God said to see. He says, so each of you will have what you said. The den that say you can't go in, and all the people who lined up with you, you'll spend your life in bondage. But the two and the little kids who was excited, you will take the land. All right? Okay. Okay. Go to Luke 4. Tell your neighbor, take God seriously. Baby, if you take God seriously, you can believe for the impossible. If you take God seriously, you can see things happen in your life that the only way they can be explained is by God. You will see stuff happen in your life. You will be standing at your own life, looking in awe, saying, I know it was God. You'll look at your life sometimes and you'll be like, ain't no point in me playing. I ain't no way I was smart enough to figure this out. The Lord did this.
in Luke, the fourth chapter, in the 18th verse. We'll start at verse 16. Luke 4, 16. It says, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as it was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. He said, As the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. What does it say? What did he do to the poor? Did he give them money? What did he do to them? And this was the message. If you was poor, you ain't got to be poor no more. He put, now, look what he did. He healed the brokenhearted. He preached deliverance to the captive, recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. But he preached the good news to the, to the, to the poor. Baby, if you're poor, you don't need a handout. You need the gospel. That's why if you're poor, you need to be studying your word. Looking at what God says more than anything else that you're doing because Jesus himself said, God sent me to preach the gospel to the poor. So I need the word if I'm going to have God do something impossible in my life. Now look at this. Now think about this. Jesus fulfilled. He said, look, he said, this is what I've been sent to do. And do you know that everybody who believed that Jesus could do what he was sent to do had it happen in their life? But you know, Jesus went home one time to the city of to Galilee, and he started preaching. And even though they weren't impressed by him, they started saying stuff like this. It's just Jesus. That's Mary and them son. I know his brothers and his sisters. You know what he says there? He can only do a few great things. Just a few small miracles. Healed a couple people. Why? They didn't take God seriously. You've got to make a choice to take God seriously. I only want to show you a couple more times. Get, see, it's happening over and over again. In, Mark, in Matthew, the 14th chapter, and the 14th verse, this is Jesus feeding the 5,000. Another situation that looks impossible. Hey, and they say, God specializes in the impossible. What do you need from God? There is nothing that you need from God that he cannot do. It says, And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a desert place, and this time is now past. Send the multitude away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals." And Jesus said unto them, But Jesus said unto them, They need not depart. Ye give them to eat. And they said unto him, But we have here, but what? Five loaves and two fish. So they looking at them, but Jesus looking at something else. He says, Bring bring what you got to me. Bring what you got to me. Bring it to me. Verse 19. Where are we going? And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and the two fishes, and he looked up to heaven. They looked at the fish. He looked up to heaven. They looked at the people. He looked up to heaven. You looked at your debt. He looked up to heaven. 
your credit score. He looked up to heaven. You looked at the economy and CNN. He looked up to heaven. He looked up to heaven and he blessed it. What's that the picture of? That's the picture of me taking my check and I put the blessing on my check because I tithe. And then I say, Lord, here the rest of it. In the natural, the rest of this ain't enough to, tra- ca- um, to, to cover all that. But before I spend a dime, I thank you that the blessing is on this money right now. I thank you for multiplying this money right here. I thank you for giving me everything that I need in order to have what I need. And I thank you for wisdom and instruction. So I sit down and I start to pay my bills, not in a fear and not in panic, but on a word from the Lord. So then the Lord says, write this check right here first. You think to yourself, but they're not doing to next month. He said, that's okay. Write this check right here now. Anyway, no, no, no. I know they do next week, but don't pay them next week. I don't understand. That's okay. Just keep looking up to heaven. And then you find that what wasn't enough now became more than enough because you stopped looking at it and you started focusing on him. Next verse. He gave the Lord to his disciples in the multitude, and they did what? No, no, you skipped the word. They did how many? How many? And what? They didn't just eat and get a little bit. It says that they were eat, they did eat and they were filled. What's another word for filled? Satisfied. It says they did all eat and they were satisfied. And then can you believe they had the nerve to have fragments left? And when they gathered up the fragments, how many baskets was it? You know why it was 12 baskets? Because it was 12 disciples breaking it. It was 12 disciples passing it. So every one of them had to come back with more than they went out with. But here's the thing. Here's how great faith is. Even though they didn't take God seriously, Jesus taking God seriously was enough to get them fed and the 5,000. So your family may think you crazy to think you're going to get out of debt. Your family may think you crazy that you're the first one to go buy a house or the first one to go back to college or the first one to do whatever. But if you will just stop looking at yourself, stop listening to what they have to say, then you will mess around and a blessing on your life will get on them and they'll get blessed too. Hallelujah. Glory to the Lamb. Hmm. Romans 4. And we're going to wrap up. Say, I've decided to take God seriously. You better make a decision to take God seriously. Man, don't believe for what you could do anyway. It don't take no faith to believe for what you could do anyway. Believe God for what you know only God can do. What is it in your life that only God can do? And then you'll get excited. And then other people will be blessed off your life. And then what started off is not enough. It wasn't even enough word to keep you. But then you start getting enough word and now it's enough word to keep you and now it's keeping somebody else. In, in, in Romans, the fourth chapter, talk about how Abraham is our father of faith. 
And he said that one of the things that Abraham was famous for was calling those things that be not as though they were. Call those things that be not as though they were. And he says that Abraham, it says, even though he was old. Tell your neighbor, say he was old. He was old. His wife was barren. It says even though he was old, he didn't consider those things. Because he believed that what God promised, God was well able to do it in spite of the fact that he was old. In spite of the fact that Sarah was old. He says, and this is the kind of faith we're all supposed to live by. So when we look at a situation like our finances, like the economy, it says that we look at that faith, we look at the situation, and what we consider tells us what kind of faith we have. To consider means to fix your eye on it. It says, so if you fix your eye on the economy, it tells you that you have weak faith. If you fix your eye on your credit score, you got weak faith. If you fix your eye on the only way it can happen, oh, ooh, 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 I'm going to get it. almost everybody in this room with this right here. I'll do this when I get paid. Weak faith. I'll take care of that when I get paid. Weak faith. Full of faith says, God, what you want me to do? How you want me to pay for it? When you want me to pay for it? Which mechanic you want me to go to? Which apartment you want me to go to? That's what full of faith does. Weak faith says, let me see what I can put together. Let me see what I can pay for if I look at my savings and my checking and I don't pay this right here right now. Let me see what I can do. Weak faith. Full of faith says, God, you said it. I'm not really sure how you're going to do it. Be it unto me according to your word. Give me some instruction. But you don't understand. You don't understand. You don't understand. It's got to be done on the 21st. Today's the 21st. What am I going to do? I'm going to hear from God. I'm going to believe God. Because in reality, most of the time, the reason you say that you didn't hear God in your emergency situation is because fear was talking to you so loud you missed what God was saying. It wasn't that God wasn't saying nothing to you. It wasn't that God wasn't giving you instruction. It wasn't that God wasn't telling you what to do. It's that you were so consumed by fear that you couldn't hear what God could say. Because when every time God told you to sit down and be quiet, you kept counting up them bills again. You kept counting up how much. God know how much summer school costs. God know how much them books cost. God know how much cosmetology school costs. God know how much your rent is. God knows what you have need. Stop considering anything other than what God said. Obey God and see what God said come to pass. It's just that simple. Obey God. See what God said come to pass. But it's the only way by it's the only way to live. As a believer, it's your only way to live. Anything you do outside of believing God is not kingdom. It may be church. It may be your denomination, but it ain't kingdom. The whole kingdom is built on believing God, taking him at his word. Either God is or he ain't. Either he can or he can't. Either he will or he won't. I choose to believe he is, he can, and he will, and he wants to. That's how I live my life. It says that. Abraham, 
he called those things that be not as they were. Listen to this. We've been talking about holding on to the profession of your faith. And we said that the word perfect confession and profession in the Bible are the same word. When you, your profession is your confession. For example, if someone says, I am a doctor, that's their confession. Their confession is also their profession. As a believer, your profession is your confession. My job is to say what God has said. What God has said. Second Peter tells us that God has, past tense, given us all things, which means already in the past. Isn't that what it means? If, if I say, I have given you some money, am I going to give it to you? I've already given it to you, right? God says, I have already given you. Say, that's me. Point to yourself, me. That's me. God says, I have already given you everything that you need for life and godliness. Well, let me just ask you some questions. Is rent pertaining to life? Groceries, do they pertain to life? Health care, does that pertain to life? God has already given you everything you need to live. You already have. Oh, God, that's good right there. That's good. What month is this? What's the next month? July. Most people now at this month are thinking about how they go pay their mortgage or rent for July. Can I help you? If God has already given you everything that pertains to life and godliness, your rent or mortgage for July 2020 is already yours. No, no, no. I'm finna mess with you now. So if it's already mine, then I get to choose whether I call it in monthly. No, 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 because I ain't going to leave you like this. I'm going to give you something to chew on because you need something impossible because you've been doing all that old watered-down Christianity, and that's why every time you're sick, you got to run to the doctor. You don't know how to lay hands on yourself and say, I'm already healed. Sinus infection can't be here. I'm already healed. Cancer can't be here. I'm already healed. You already have received every dime you need to live in this earth. You choose how you call it in. You get to choose whether you get it monthly or whether you get it all at once based on your confession. Uh -uh, Uh-uh, uh-uh, not my confession. I can't confess about your money. Based on it, that's why we keep saying it is what you call it. It is what I call it. Now, understand what I'm telling you it's going to require you to do some work on your mind. Because everything in your life has seen it doled out to you in little pieces. 
your job pay you by the week or every two weeks or once a month. You pay you, Some of you ain't never even been in a place where you just pay your car insurance up for one year. You used to one bill at a time, one bill at a time, one bill at a time. You ain't never just on January 1 wrote the cable company and said, you know what, y'all charge me $70.68 a month, that time 12, yeah. Let me throw y'all a little extra in case something go up. You're not used to living like that, so you got to change your thinking in order to live like that. You've been taught to have this little bitty petty Eddie hanging out for scraps. I'm going to say to you what David said to the son of, um, of, of Saul, of Jonathan. He says, will you come up out of loaded bar? Will you come up out of that low level of thinking, thinking that God is breaking off everything to you? If God gave them 12 baskets left over just from a fish dinner, how much more will God give to you? But you got to get your expectation up. Because as long as you expect it every 14 days, that's how you're going to get it. As long as you expect it every other, the third Friday of the month, that's how you're going to get it. Got to change your expectation. Got to get aggressive about it. Why is it important? Why? Because if I can pay all my bills up on January 1st, then the rest of the year I can meet your needs. I can bless you. I can give you groceries. My stuff already taken care of. If I can use my faith and buy myself a car this month, I can use my faith and buy you a car next month. But instead, what we do is sit around here, and every time somebody have a need, Everybody trying to put $20 on a $5,000 need. So people come to the church to get blessed, and the church can't bless them with nothing because you are the church, and you done bought into this mentality that you're supposed to nickel and dime your way through life. The Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So if I belong to God, please tell me who got the right to control the wealth. So why you keep letting other people control your father's wealth? Why you keep sitting back living in your trailer while people who don't even love God got houses on every coast, got stripper poles in them, turning girls out, using drugs, while you sit here and talk about in the sweet by and by. You don't need no money when you get to heaven, baby. Ain't no need for money in heaven. You need money now. All she do is preach about money. It's not all I preach about. Bishop KK, but they can tell you that's not all I preach about. But you know what I am going to preach about? Because I'm so tired of the church being broke. years to pay off a house. I thought we believed God for the God of the impossible. Even if we got to get a mortgage, it shouldn't take as long as them to pay it off. If they say they can do it in seven, we ought to be to do it in three and a half. Do anybody believe God for anything other than what you can see? I want to stir you. I want to provoke you and invoke you. To provoke means to make you angry. I want you to get angry about the fact that you love God, that God has said everything belongs to you, and you've been tricked about how you've been living, and that's why when people need help, you can't help them. I want you to get angry enough to go home and get in the Word. I want you to get angry enough to go home and make some more confessions. I want you to get angry enough to give a little bit more. I want you to get 
angry enough to say, you know what, this is the last year I'm living like this. It ain't going down like this no more. I'm called to be a blessing. I'm not saying no no more. I got seed to give. I got to meet people need. People waiting on me. I want you to get angry that people go home and kill themselves and their families because they didn't think it was enough money. I want you to get angry that you're not controlling your wealth so that you can, God can send you to them and you say, you ain't got to kill yourself. I'll pay your rent for a year. Just come and let me teach you the word. I want you to get angry that babies in Africa dying because they mamas can't get an injection over here in America that costs $10. That girls can't go to school because ain't no sanitary napkins. I want you to get angry and command your wealth so you can make a difference. I want you to get angry about the fact that in Haiti, for $100, you can buy a kid out of the sex trade. Say, you know what, God? I don't know if nobody else in this church is ready for their wealth, but I'm ready to be wealthy. Because I get that while you'll take care of me, it ain't all about what kind of house I can live in. But if I live for you, I can live in a good house. Get angry about the fact that it's kids that can't go to college. Say, you know what? I believe God. I believe God. I'm going to start by using my faith to pay off my student loans. Because once I can pay off my student loans, I know I can help somebody else go to school. I may not have much, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start and I'm going to find me a college student, and I'm going to give him $25 a month. I'm, I'm going to give him $25 a month because $25 may not be a lot to me, but $25 is a lot in college. Anybody in college remember, $25 is a lot of money. And then you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to raise it up. Then when I get some more money, I'm going to give them 50, or I'm going to get two students 25. But I'm going to get out of debt and stop letting debt be a noose around my neck because every time I want to meet a need, debt is pulling me back. Every time I want to help somebody, I got to consider my car note. I got to consider my mortgage. I got to consider them bills and this bill and this credit card. I'm not living like that anymore because people are waiting on me. So now I'm going to shift. Instead of saying debt is my friend, Citibank ain't my friend. M- uh, MBNA not my friend. Credit cards, they not my friend. They're my enemy. They're designed to keep me from doing the will of God. This concludes our message. Thank you for supporting Fellowship of Champions Church International. To order other products or for partnership information and other resources, visit us at championsforlife.org or write to us at 1105 Deer Street. Conway, Arkansas, 72032. Thank you for listening and continue with us as we build Champions for Life.